Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. By September 2nd, 1945, six million Jews had been exterminated by the most evil regime of the 20th century. On September 11th, 2001, 2,977 people died when a plane was flown into the Twin Towers. On May 25th, 2020, George Floyd received a knee pressed against his neck for nearly eight minutes during an arrest over a counterfeit $20 bill. Why does God allow suffering to continue in this world? I'm sure you've asked the question before, or perhaps even heard the argument before, right? It usually goes something like this. If God is all loving, he wouldn't want suffering to continue. If God is all powerful, he would be able to stop suffering. And yet, suffering continues. So is one of those things not true? Is God not a God of love, or is God not all-powerful? Over the course of this episode and the next episode, I'd like to break down the topic of suffering, though I do believe we will be covering suffering over multiple episodes throughout the life of this podcast, but I'd like to break it down into two kind of generic camps that we can get into. First of all, I'd like to talk about why God allows suffering to continue on a theological and philosophical level. In other words, if there's a God, why is there still evil in this world? And in our next episode, I'd like to talk about personal suffering and why God allows personal disasters to come into our lives, why God allows cancer to come into our lives, why God allows financial hardships, why God allows death to come too soon to those we love and care about. You see, no one in this life is immune to suffering, and no one really has a good way of preventing it from happening. Suffering knows no bias, and yet supposedly, God has a bias. God has a bias towards people, right? The very premise of the gospel, which we just discussed in the last episode, is that God loves us so much more than suffering. Okay, so before we dive too deep into this, I must confess something to you. I must confess that I do not know why God allows suffering to continue. So what I will be doing is I will be speculating on several theological truths over this episode, but before I do so, I would like to point out that in the oldest book of the Bible, which scholars believe is the book of Job, Job suffered immensely and questioned God. Throughout the entire book, Job's friends are trying to give Job a lens into what they believe is the heart of God. And at the end of the book, God points out that they're wrong. And God never tells Job why he allowed the suffering to happen. Now, we know, reading the book of Job years and years and years later, that it was because of a conversation God had with Satan, where Satan was challenging Job's loyalty to God, and God allowed Satan to test Job. Is this the case for suffering for every single person? No, absolutely not. But the important takeaway is that Job never got an answer for his suffering. At the end of the book, God finally answers Job out of the whirlwind, and he says to Job, 
Basically, where were you when I created the world? What reason did you have for doing it? And can you sustain it? Is the answer God gave to Job. This tells us the first very important theological truth about evil and suffering in the world. It's that God is a lot smarter than we are. God's mind is a lot more vast than we are because his mind exists outside of eternity. Our minds are finite. And so what this tells us is, just because neither you nor I can think of a good reason why God may allow suffering and evil to continue, doesn't mean that there isn't one. Just because our minds can't comprehend what God is working through the suffering or why God is allowing it to happen doesn't mean that God doesn't have a good and loving reason for it to happen. And if you were able to tune in from the last episode, I would actually like to point something out about the gospel at this point in time. You see, Tim Keller actually points out that because God was willing to join humanity, as it were, to come to this earth and to suffer the death of the cross, what the gospel actually tells us about suffering is that the answer for why God allows suffering to continue cannot be because he doesn't love us. In other words, God loves us so much that he was perfectly willing to take on human suffering himself, to be able to sympathize, right? Paul writes that he became our great high priest, and in order to fully understand what this means, you have to look back at the Old Testament structure of the priesthood. Now, the high priest was the person who stood in representation of humanity before God. And so Jesus being willing to become our great high priest means that he stands in representation of humanity before God, not just in representation of humanity's sins and therefore the payment of, but also in representation of humanity's sufferings. You see, the Bible says that Jesus prays on our behalf. He petitions the Father on our behalf for prayers that we perhaps cannot pray or, or, or cannot utter. And what this tells us about suffering, then, is we have a great sympathizer. We have someone who fully knows what it means to suffer. We have someone who fully knows what it means to be the victim of racial injustice. We have someone who fully knows what it means to be the victim of a criminal sentence for a crime he did not commit. We have someone who fully knows what it means to be homeless. We have someone who fully knows what it means to be fatherless. We have someone who fully knows what it means to lose family, to lose close friends, both to death, speaking of Lazarus, and to betrayal, speaking of Judas. We have a suffering Savior. And so, therefore, to Tim Keller's point, a lack of love cannot be the reason God allows suffering to continue. A mean or a cruel God who does not love us anymore cannot be the answer to why God allows suffering to continue. So part of the answer also lies in the doctrine of free will. When we go back to the original sin of Genesis chapter 3 of Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit which God said not to touch, we see another theological truth that is also very important to understanding why evil is still in the world. That theological truth is the doctrine of free will, which does coincide with love as well. You see, love must be a choice. Love must never be a forced thing. A rather silly example that I like to give of this is you see, I've been married for four years now at the time of this podcast recording, and if the day I'm proposing to my wife, the popping the question, as it were, 
didn't go so much the typical way of will you marry me, but instead went you're going to marry me and there was no question, I would not be giving her the opportunity to love me. Or perhaps even more dramatic, if on the day I first met my wife, I had said to her, hi, my name is Sean, you're going to marry me. I give her no opportunity to experience love. Now, she may experience my affection and love for her, but she will never fully experience what it's like to love someone. And God is the same way. He has designed us in such a way that he wants us to experience what it is like to love someone, because that's God's very nature. God is a God of love. And God, as we've discussed just a moment ago and in the last episode, through the gospel and through creation, demonstrates to us his great love for us. It's a relentless, unconditional love that says, I would rather die for you than ever be separated from you. And the Bible says that Jesus faced the cross for the joy set before him. And that joy was the anticipation of love realized. Now, I know this and I've experienced this and I hope you have too. And if you haven't, I do know that you long for this, or at least assume that you long for this. But one of the greatest experiences of human existence is to have love realized, is to throw your heart out there, essentially, to lay it out all on the line and say to someone, I love you. And between that and their response, there's a moment where your heart skips a beat. There's a moment where your breath can't catch itself because you're waiting to see if the other person is going to reciprocate and say the exact same three words back to you. And that is one of the deepest joys and greatest experiences of the human condition for most of us. But that joy would be entirely stripped away if at the moment we tell someone I love you they reciprocate back to us you're forcing me to love you too the joy is all of a sudden stripped away at that moment because we know that that is not love love is a choice and, and it entirely is because most of the time for us it's based on calculable factors perhaps in the early stages of love love leans a little more heavily on physical attraction Right? And perhaps in the latter stages of love, love leans a little bit more on friendship or shared experience. But either way, there is a calculation that transpires within the mind when deciding to tell someone those three words. And so therefore, God has to allow free will if he's going to have human beings that truly love him at the end of the day and truly realize in return to him the love that he has for us. Which leads me to another theological truth that is presented all throughout the Bible, and that is that God is patient, or as it's said elsewhere, long-suffering, or even as it's put in the New Testament, willing that all should repent and that not all should perish. So the theological truth I'm trying to communicate here is that God understands that we work within the bounds of time. God understands that sin is an event that happens within our lives at a certain time period. And that the retribution, repentance, and restoration of that sin also takes time. Therefore, if God were to stop evil, he would have to stop 
sin because evil is the result of sin. When we think about the Holocaust, when we think about the murder of George Floyd, when we think about all the violent crimes and, and rapes and, and murders and thefts that have occurred over this past even century alone, we can trace those crimes and those evils back to an offender, a person who desired to commit the crime. Both the crime itself and the desire to commit the crime are called sin in the Bible. And so if God were to stop all evil, he would have to stop evil at the root. The root is sin, therefore he would have to stop sinners. And as we know from the last episode and from the teachings of the Bible and the gospel, the consequences of sin is hell, is separation from God forever, which means therefore, if God were to say, all right, that's it, no more evil on this earth, I am not allowing one more evil action at all, the moment that you or I have a sinful or evil desire within us, God must stop us. He must kill us. And well, if you're not a Christian, according to the Bible, sorry, that means that was your one and only shot. There is no second chances. Now you can see how this is not actually loving of God. And this does not actually display his patience or long suffering. You see, in order for God to be patient, in order for God to be the kind of God that the Bible describes that says that, he desires none should perish. He has to be patient. He has to be long-suffering. He has to hold back for a long, long, long time. But he will not hold back forever. And this does bring me to the last theological truth that I'm going to cover in this episode. It's that God doesn't actually allow evil to continue. Well, what do I mean by that? It's that evil's going to happen on this earth. And even after the recording of this podcast, there will be more death because of evil. There will be more hurt. There will be more heartache. There will be more tears. There will be more hopelessness and depression and despair because evil is in this world and it's going to come. It's going to come to me and you. It has no bias, but God will not let it continue because the last theological attribute I'd like to discuss in this episode is that God is a just God, is that one day there will come a judgment. The Bible says that it is appointed for every man once to die, and then comes the judgment. Both Paul and John paint a picture of Judgment Day, of sinners, you and I alike, standing before the throne of Christ, who will be king, who will be jury and executioner in that moment. And as I said before, for those that are in Christ, the payment has been made. The gospel tells us that every evil I have ever committed has been paid in full, and that on Judgment Day, that receipt will be hanging over my life, and I will be able to enter into the presence of the Lord. But for those not in Christ, for those that were unwilling to repent, for those that wanted evil to continue in this world and wanted to harm others and bring about all kinds of things that are bad, everything will be made fair in eternity. And the Bible makes it clear that no one will object to God's judgment. No one will say, well, that's unfair. That evil doesn't deserve hell. You see, the Bible also teaches that on Judgment Day, everything will be made clear. Everything will be made into the open. Everything in secret, every thought, every seed that led to evil will be out in the open. And God will be just. And justice will finally reign once and all forever. And don't we all long for that? 
you know, I, I mentioned three very unjust events in history that happened at the start of this podcast. And with all three of those, the outcries from the known world for justice at the time went out. We're on every newspaper and radio and Instagram account and tweet. Obviously, the Holocaust wasn't on Instagram, but speaking in more recent terms to the events of George Floyd, the events of 2020, which is the year of this recording of this podcast with coronavirus and Black Lives Matter movement happening, taking over most of the media for the year. We all long for justice. We all long for things that are wrong, things that disrupt the flow, the ebb and flow of our lives to be made right, to be corrected, or just to simply go away. And the Bible teaches us that on Judgment Day, God's going to make that happen. God's going to wipe away every tear. God's going to make the bad things go away. But for now, they still persist. And, and let me just say as a side, and I know I think I'm going a little bit over on time on this podcast, but as a side, if you are a Christian listening to this podcast, and it's still 2020, and we're still dealing with coronavirus and Black Lives Matter, can I just say, I don't care if you agree with any of this stuff or not, but the Bible tells us Christians to love our neighbors. And I don't care what you think about a mask. But wearing a mask around your neighbors, especially at church, my gosh, I can't even go to church because no one wears a mask. But wearing a mask around your neighbors tells them, I love you enough that I'm going to do something I don't agree with, or maybe something I do agree with, but I love you enough that I'm going to wear this mask to protect us. And speaking to Black Lives Matter movement, you don't have to agree with everything in the movement to agree with the phrase that black lives do matter, that there are injustices that happen around the world, and if the world wants to bring light to injustice, my gosh, Jesus said we are the light of the world. We should be leading the charge and say, you know what, black lives do matter because God created everyone equally. And if there are people in this country or around this world who are black, who are being treated unfairly. Well, my gosh, we're going to leave the 99 and go after the one for a little bit and say, yes, you do matter. Tell us how we can help show you that you matter. Tell us how we can prove to you that you matter. I may not agree with everything you believe in. I may not agree with everything you stand for, but I love you because God loves you. And he said you're created in his image, which reminds me of a story in the Gospels. This one time, Jesus and his disciples were walking together along the road, and they came across a man who was blind. And the gospel records that the man was born blind from birth. And the disciples asked Jesus about the blind man, who sinned, this blind man or his parents? Because, you see, it was a very common teaching back then in the Jewish culture that if someone had had something evil or some suffering committed to them or happening upon them in their lives, it was a clear sign to all that God was punishing them for some sin or some evil in their lives or some evil or sin in their family that was passed down through some generational curse or something. But the answer that Jesus gives is quite different from that Jewish teaching, which honestly kind of fits human reasoning. Not the answer Jesus gave, but the Jewish teaching. It's logical, or at least it feels logical for us as people to reason that if bad things are happening, it's because I did something bad, or it's because someone in my family did something bad, or there's someone evil in my family, and therefore evil or suffering is happening to me. There are multiple religious systems all over the world that 
adopt this teaching of what goes around comes around or karma, right? But Jesus's answer was very different. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but he was born blind so that the glory of God could be revealed through him. And after Jesus said those things, he healed the man and the man could see. And so I wonder if that isn't also an answer for some of the suffering and evil we see in our world. If God doesn't just allow some evil and suffering to happen so that the glory of God may be revealed. And how is the glory of God revealed now? Well, it's supposed to be through his church. Now, I know that the church is often responsible for evil. The church is often responsible for some of the pain that we see and feel in our lives. And we're going to get there in a couple episodes. We're going to talk about the relevance of the church in culture, in history, and in the Bible. But I wonder if God doesn't let some evil and suffering happen so that he can give his people the responsibility of loving the world, of being the light that he wants his church to be, of being the salt of the earth that he wants us to be so that people, like the Bible said, would see the good deeds of the church and glorify the Father in heaven. If you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, please know that the church drops the ball on this sometimes, that the church doesn't always pick up the mantle of responsibility of loving the world like the Bible says that we should. And if you are a Christian listening to this and you're doing your best to love the world and show them kindness and compassion, then please keep doing this. If you're not, Consider this your reminder to the challenge that we have from Jesus himself to love the world and to care about every single neighbor around us. Well, that is all the time we have for this episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed the show. 